I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Alan Bresnik, Senior Analyst with Heavy Reading. He joins me to discuss the results of a heavy reading survey about the global broadband industry's plans for closing the digital divide. We get into the results of that survey, including what technologies providers are prioritizing for their buildouts, what they're looking for from vendors, the role government subsidies are playing in providers' digital divide plans, and more. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Happy New it Year. Is- Happy New Year to you, too. Oh, my God. By the time this runs, though, I think it might be almost February. So apologies to everyone. Um, (laughs) It'll be 2024, basically, at that point. Uh, Happy Chinese Um, New Year. (laughs) Happy Chinese New Year. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Okay. That that makes much more sense. Um, Here I am thinking of everything from a U.S.-centric point of view. Okay. All right. Anyway, Alan, (laughs) you are here (laughs) to talk about the various New Years that we celebrate all around the world, as well as um, some research you all recently did at Heavy Reading about the digital divide. So um, tell me a bit about that research. Give me some background on um, who were you surveying uh, and what were you setting out to find? Okay, sure. We did a survey of network operators around the world um, with a heavy concentration in the U.S. and Canada, um, looking at what they're doing to close the digital divide, what their strategies are, what technologies they're planning to use, and whether they're planning to tap into public funding to help um, subsidize their builds. Very cool. Very relevant. Um, So uh, what did you, we're going to talk a little bit about everything that you touched on, um, but to start with, what did you learn about the current state of broadband infrastructure and service in the regions that you surveyed? Well, we found is that there's um, that there's a lot of building already going on before any subsidies are, are available, mm-hmm. um, but it, but it's uneven. It's an uneven pace. There's more happening in some areas than there are in other areas. There's hap- more happening in more attractive areas, or more economically attractive areas, more in urban and suburban areas than in rural areas, mm-hmm. and it and it also depends on where operators are located and where they can where they ha- already have infrastructure because um, a lot of them are just building extending their current infrastructure rather than building totally from scratch so um okay so then you mentioned the the role that public funding is playing are you did you find in the in your survey results that uh, the public funding is helping as you say even out some of those uneven deployments? It's definitely public funding is definitely bringing in a lot more activity. It's definitely bringing in a lot more operators and bringing operators into a lot more areas that they wouldn't have invested in before. So mm-hmm. theoretically, at least, it should it should even out the uh, the builds by bringing operators into areas that they might not have thought about before because they, they looked at economically unattractive to them. Okay, um, so I know your you know your study covered operators all over the world. Um, I don't know if you have any more details on the differences in those funding schemes, the public funding schemes, and, and how they impact the the different ways the res- the providers responded. Of course, I know the most about uh, what we're doing here in the U.S. with the $65 billion in broadband funding that the Biden administration passed. Um, so I'd, I'd love to get a sense from you on, um, A, if you got a, if you did get any feedback on how the different countries' funding schemes are impacting investment. But uh, moreover, um, 
what uh, what percentage or uh, how many providers are saying that they're going to be participating in their government funding schemes um, versus not? That's a good question. I don't know if we have enough data to talk about how different countries uh, and different yeah. regions uh, differ in their patterns because we don't have a lot of data from um, from outside of the U.S., Canada, and Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but I can I can tell you that there's a lot of companies that are interested in using uh, public funding and are going ahead with pursuing public subsidi subsidies where they wouldn't have uh, been doing these kinds of builds before. Uh, close to two thirds of survey participants, or 65 percent, said they had already applied for public funding, and um, nearly a quarter have already been uh, awarded government grants for their builds. So mm, it okay. shows that there's a strong interest in the public subsidy programs. And yeah. a lot of companies wouldn't be doing this if they weren't getting the subsidies. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, so that shows you the importance of the subsidy programs. But your your research also asked um, some of, for those who aren't participating in the programs, why not? Can you get into some of the reasons that they provided for, for that? Sure, about the third said that they uh, saw better private investment opportunities mm. rather than pursuing public funding. And nearly as many uh, talked about um, supply chain challenges, which I know you want to get into later on. Sure. Well. Yeah. So, so that's well, two of the key reasons why they were not pursuing uh, public funding at this point. Okay, so supply chain challenges are a reason that they might not pursue government funding. So I assume that might be because of probably timelines or maybe um, requirements on the type of supply that they're they have to use for publicly funded bills. Is 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 that the sense you got? That's the sense I got. And yeah. One other interesting thing was that about a quarter said that they blamed onerous fair labor practices. So in other okay. words, they didn't like the labor practices that the governments were setting for them to follow. So they yeah. decided to yeah. opt out of the program. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the complaints we've heard about the BEAD program. Um, the NTIA has uh, not a union requirement, but a reporting, it, it's a, a reporting requirement so that if you're getting um, the BEAD grant, for example, um, you'll need as part of your reporting to say if you're using, for example, union labor. It's not that you must use union labor for your build, but that you have to report on it. And, and a lot of the providers are taking issue with that. And certain members of Congress are taking issue with that as well. So we'll see if that um, that reporting requirement really makes it through to the end of um, the bead distribution or not. I bet, but I, can, I, I bet I can guess which letter those congressional people have <laughs> after their uh, name. I will let you go ahead and do that. Um, but I think we're thinking of the same letter, isn't that? Okay. <laughs> but yes, that's, that's correct. Yes. Uh, okay. That side of the aisle is not happy to hear about uh, reporting requirements for union labor. Um, right. And a lot of the, the larger incumbent providers and also the smaller smaller businesses as well don't want to have to to report on that. So it's a bit of an issue, but it's also, again, not a requirement for the actual labor that they have to, to use. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll see how all of that shakes out. But um, the head of the NTIA has said, well, this is, you know, public money. So there are reasonable <laughs> requirements to attach to public money. Um, right. So, um, but anyway, so like you said, but like you said, there are, there's a certain subset of providers that will see those requirements attached to public money and say, that's not worth it to us. We see more of an opportunity in private investment. Right. Okay. And and to be fair, there is a lot of money available in, in private in the private markets, right? Private equity markets right now for this. 
There really is. Yes. You see a lot of uh, small private, uh, small fiber providers sort of getting bought up by private equity. Um, there's a lot of private equity investment in, in um, fiber uh, in broadband. And I'm interested to see what that looks like, like 10 years from now. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but okay. So um, another area you guys touched on uh, was the importance of the middle mile subsidies. Mm -hmm. um, I found that notable because here in the US, uh, the middle mile fund is like $1 billion uh, of the $65 billion the US set aside in broadband funding. And I think that when they um, put out the grant, they opened up the grants for that. The applications that came in were like $5, million, $5 billion in requests. So it showed you mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, that that program is already oversubscribed. So can you tell me just a little bit about what you guys asked about regarding the middle mile and, and what you learned? Yeah, that, uh, that it was kind of surprising to me. Uh, we asked uh, respond, we asked uh, providers about the importance of middle mile subsidies and more than one half of 53% Side the subsidies as important, while another 20% rated them even higher as critical. So that means that uh, over two, th about three quarters said it was either important or critical to have them, and only 7% said that they were not important. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was I was kind of blown away by that. I didn't realize how important middle mile subsidies would be to providers, but cl yeah. clearly they are. Yeah, it's interesting. When you hear providers talk about it, they the the ones who are you know focused on the middle mile are constantly beating that drum uh, of mm -hmm. the need for more more funding for the middle mile. But it's definitely the last mile that gets uh, sort of the splashier attention um, right. because you're connecting human beings at the last mile. That's way more exciting. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, also, people but, different providers define the middle mile somewhat differently, right? So not everybody's sees yeah. the middle mile as the same middle as yeah. others do. Yeah, exactly. And there are all sorts of interesting solutions for that. I know some providers are leveraging, you know, dark fiber assets that mm -hmm. uh, in, exist in cities. There are also, you know, I guess, educational networks that you could potentially leverage fiber assets from um, mm -hmm. and uh, build out from there. Um, there's open access networks. I, I don't think you guys touched really on on, on that aspect of... of um, uh, the digital divide, the open aspect network of it, but that might be an, another interesting topic going going forward to look at because on that in that model, you know, you can um, I think you have sort of a solution for the middle mile, um, and you also have multiple solutions for the last mile because you have multiple um, service providers deliver, ISPs delivering broadband from you know one fiber network or. Or whatever. Yeah, um, I agree. Open access yeah. would be a great thing to look at. Uh, this this survey we didn't look at it this time because our survey was sponsored by four different vendors, and there wasn't wasn't their priority to look at open yeah. access. But I definitely agree that next time we do this, that should be something we look at. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, speaking of vendors, by the way, because this you know makes sense, you would ask about this in a survey uh, <laughs> sponsored by vendors, but right. this is also a relevant and important part of closing the digital divide. It takes a lot of partners who can deploy networks and deliver mm -hmm. service uh, efficiently, quickly, sustainably, reliably. You know, it, this is a long-term thing, not just uh, you deploy it and you're done. Um, right. So what did your survey uncover about service providers' priorities for selecting vendors and partners for these digital divide projects, you know, what are the qualities they're looking for? Where are they looking to cut costs or, or time? Right. What, what would you, would you uncover there? 
Well, nearly three quarters of operators said that they plan to manage their their consumer their CPE purchases over the next two years through multiple partners and vendors. So they don't plan to rely on just one vendor, which was interesting. But at the same time, while they plan to use multiple vendors, slightly more than half said the most important consideration in selecting a vendor is whether they can offer an end-to-end solution. And okay. that and that was a bit surprising because I figured that costs would come in. The lowest cost would come in as the top thing. It came in as the number two thing, hmm. but it, but the the biggest thing that people that vendors are looking for that operators are looking for is one vendor that can coordinate everything. Oh, that is interesting. And and that was a surprise to you. Was do you think that was a surprise to your vendors that you were working with? Um yeah, I would suspect so. I think that a lot of the vendors probably think that having the lowest cost is what's is what's the biggest thing operators are looking for. And yeah. it still is a very big thing operators are looking for. I mean, the percentage that's mentioned uh, one having the, uh, one Uber vendor was fifty two percent, while the percentage who rated lowest cost as the most important thing was forty five percent. So mm-hmm. it's not a a big gap, but still, I didn't. Ex- I think that a lot of people would be surprised to see that the Uber vendor came before the lowest cost. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, you touched on supply a little bit before. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me uh, anything that you uncovered about supply chain concerns in your survey, um, and do you have a sense of where providers are still experiencing product delays? I don't have a sense of where they're experiencing uh, the delays, but they clearly are experiencing delays. And it, it comes up when we ask them how long they expect to um, take to uh, to get their supplies um, or, or and carry out their projects. About two-thirds said that they expect their, their CPE deployments to take at least six months uh, to carry out their projects, while about a third expected to take, I'm sorry, yeah, about a third expected to take at least nine months, mm-hmm. and twenty and twelve percent expected to take more than a year. Okay. So clearly, supply chain issues are getting are involved there that they ex- don't expect to get the equipment that they need to get to their customers yeah. for six months, nine months, a year or longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that that uh, that definitely ties back to um, some of the concerns they may be having about the timeline attached to government grants then. Um, mm-hmm. And similarly, you know, at least here in the U.S., we had a had a or have slash had a Buy America requirement on the um, broadband grants, um, but they dropped it, or I believe for the Middle Mile program, and there's a industry-wide push for them to drop it for the bead program as well, and everyone is saying, you know, because of the supply chain. Um, so uh, we will see what happens with that. Um, one last question for you that I think sure. uh, was pretty relevant to your research and is definitely relevant to this subject, and um, uh, especially here in the U.S. has been a huge topic of debate, um, is the technology that we're using to close the digital divide, uh, whether mm-hmm. to prioritize fiber everywhere or whether to reach people faster with you know, a mix of fixed wireless and other types of technologies. So right. I know you guys, I think you asked a few questions maybe related to this subject. Tell me a bit about what you were looking to learn about um, the technologies we're using to close the digital divide and, and what did you take away from the survey? Well, I have to admit that going into the survey, I was expecting just about all the operators to say that they plan to use fiber. Mm -hmm. Um, And while a lot of them do plan to use fiber, not as many as I would have thought, um, about 87% of respondents said that they do plan to use fiber, while about 40% plan to use fixed wireless 
that was second. And then HFC, cable hybrid fiber coax, came in third at 35%. However, um, it turns out that people are planning to use a mix of things. So uh, the majority don't plan to use fiber for more than about 25% of their coverage areas. So they plan to use other technologies as well. So everybody, almost everybody plans to use fiber, but they don't plan to use fiber as predominantly as I would have thought going into the survey. Okay, interesting. So maybe some of these you know, more rural builds or last mile builds will take fixed wireless. You, is, is that the sense you were getting? Uh, I, they didn't. We didn't get them to specify exactly yeah. where they're going to use which technologies. But one one interesting thing was that more than half said that rural accounted for no more than twenty five percent of the digital divide issue in their regions, hmm. uh, and another fourteen percent said it accounted for less than ten percent. So, I, but my sense is that they may be using they may use fiber in the rural areas, but not necessarily in suburban and, and urban areas. Right. Okay. Um, but uh, we, we didn't hone in on that enough to, to get a, to get a solid result on that. That's just my suspicion yeah. from looking at the results. Yeah. Well that, I mean, there, that might be, make some sense, you know, in the suburban urban areas, the issue may be more about a lack of competition uh, and, or, and affordable options. And, you know, right. in an area like that, you can get a fixed wireless provider faster and, and cheaper who may come in and be able to shake up competition a little bit. Um, whereas in a rural environment, um, there's, uh, you know, there's not that competition. There's not that existing infrastructure. And I guess right now we're incentivizing building out that infrastructure where it needs to right. be. So, and it um, may be just cheaper to build, to build fiber and, in rural areas because you don't have to you know, dig up a lot of other infrastructure to, to, to put the fiber in, right? Well, I think it's more, it's, it depends on which aspect of it you're talking about. It's definitely more expensive to reach in homes individually in rural areas because they're so far apart, but, sure. um, but you're definitely not dealing with the same issues you're dealing with like in a, in a city, um, digging through all sorts, all manner of stuff. Um, right. Underground. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this is really interesting. Is there any final sort of takeaways from this survey that you want to share with us before I let you go? We had one interesting question was we asked um, how vendors can provide greater support for broadband builds. Oh. And so I thought that. Right. that I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I cut you off. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and a solid two thirds of operators said that more competitively priced hardware would do the trick, which is not surprising. Once again, it was, came down to cost. Uh, well, more than a half uh, chose a better software platform for network monitoring administration. And the same number picked faster development cycles for new products and product upgrades. So, um, and then we asked where they need the most help from equipment and software vendors. And once again, it came down to cost. Reducing capital cost is the area that they say they need the most help from vendors. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us about it. I really enjoyed it. And um, I hope that you'll do some more digital divide surveys and come back and talk to us about those as well. Oh, we definitely plan to do more surveys. And of course, we have our symposium coming up next month on February 15th. So uh, maybe That's we'll talk right. after that if, if you'd like. Yeah, sounds good. And I'll I'll drop a link to for people to register for that in the podcast notes. Anything you want to you tease about that? 
Uh, well, we're going to have some really good speakers, um, including somebody who you helped us recruit from the Treasury Department, U.S. Treasury Department, cool. talking about their uh, their broadband um, uh, uh, funding program. Awesome. Um, uh, Joseph Wender. And uh, we'll have uh, the Fiber Broadband Association is involved. We have uh, a couple of big fiber providers involved. And we're hoping to have one of the big telcos, either AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile involved. But stay tuned on that. All right. We will all stay tuned. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for your time, Alan. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Nicole. Take care. Thank you again, Alan, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landrio, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.